God's grace, uh, as important as that is in every one of our lives, be to each of you. God's mercy, new every morning, that mercy be to each of you. And above all else, at a time like this, God's peace be to each of you, a peace that passes human understanding, a peace that people don't understand how you could possibly have in times like this. But this peace has come from God himself. I said two and a half months ago, at the very beginning of this year, 2020, I said that human beings are in no position to make final judgments on the things that happen to us. A certain event in our lives may have all the appearance of evil when it occurs, and yet in the mysterious unfolding of life, because life itself is in the hands of God, in the mysterious unfolding of life, what seems so bad at the time turns out to be the means of unexpected good. God has such power, and I think every morning of a God that creates this universe out of nothing, a universe that has no end with billions and trillions of stars and billions of galaxies, and we're just a tiny speck in this universe, I think of the power of God and how something like the coronavirus in his hands is absolutely nothing. God has such power and love that that which Satan means for our harm, God can and does work it for good in the lives of those who love him, in the lives of those who believe in him, and in the lives of those who use their lives to serve his purpose. But in this event, I believe that God can work this nightmare for good to so many on this earth, whether they call his name at this time or whether they don't. We can never hand down ultimate verdicts on things until everything has run its course. This is not the end of the story. This Sunday morning is not the end of the story. In four weeks or eight weeks or however many weeks this continues on, it's not the end of the story. God has the end of the story in his hands. And in the midst of all of this, we trust the faithfulness of God. It's not fate, it's not circumstance, it's not good fortune or bad fortune. It is God. I want to look at a story this morning with you. It's the story of Philemon. It is one chapter, it is 25 verses and yet it is one of the most extraordinary books to be found in the Bible. It's one of Paul's epistles. Paul, when he writes an epistle, he always writes them to a church, and he talks to that particular congregation. But there are a couple of epistles in the Bible, one or two of them written to a young man named Timothy, whom Paul would mentor. And the other is a letter I want to talk about this morning. It's the letter called Philemon because it's written to a man named Philemon. And it's such an unusual letter because it is an exceedingly personal situation that has come up. Paul, the great apostle, had once gone to a city named Colossae. And in that city, there was a very influential man. 
His name was Philemon. And by the time the Apostle Paul had presented the gospel to Philemon, the Holy Spirit came and did his work. And Philemon becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon, an influential citizen of that particular city, he was an owner of slaves, as were so many at that time. It is estimated that 40% of the population of Rome was made up of slaves, that there were 60 million slaves who lived and worked in the Roman Empire. The whole ancient world rested on this barbaric social arrangement. One of Philemon's slaves had the name of Onesimus. And it seems, according to what we can figure out in the book of Philemon, this young slave named Onesimus did something so incredibly risky and dangerous. He stole money from his master, and then he ran away. In the middle of the night, he runs away, and he heads toward Rome, because Rome has tens of thousands of people in that ancient metropolis. We have no details as to how it happens. But Onesimus, the young slave, crossed paths with the old apostle Paul. And the location that God has them meet each other is the prison in which Paul is held. We know why Paul is there. He's there because they're preaching the gospel of Christ. And they throw him into prison. But as to how God got Onesimus there, we don't know. Maybe Onesimus committed some crime and he was captured and he was thrown into this prison. I do know one thing. I know that God wanted Onesimus to meet the Apostle Paul. And I know that God wanted the Apostle Paul to meet Onesimus That's how God operates. By all usual expectations, the Apostle Paul, when he found out that Onesimus was a slave and a runaway slave, by all usual expectations, you would assume that the Apostle Paul would have reacted with anger and condemnation and turned his back on this young man. But long before this event... The Apostle Paul had begun to model his life after Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus was the one who loved each one he met as if there were no other in the world. And this is the Jesus who loved all as he loved each. And that's the way the Apostle Paul had learned to live his life. There were no unimportant people There were no insignificant people. He loved all as he loved one. And he loved one as he loved each. You look at Jesus. Here's a wealthiest man in the city, Zacchaeus. Jesus loves him. Here's a man, a blind Bartimaeus, poorest man in the city. Jesus loves him. Here's a healthy, strong Simon Peter, fisherman by trade, and Jesus loves him. And here's a man who's been crippled since his birth, and Jesus loves him. Here's a prostitute, Jesus loves her. 
And here is a Pharisee. And Jesus loves the Pharisee. The Apostle Paul said to Jesus, I want to be crucified with you to the extent that I'm no longer living for myself, but for you, the one who died for me. In Galatians 3rd chapter 27th verse, Paul writes, wrote, In my life and in your life, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. We are all called to be one in Christ. Amazing thing happens. The Apostle Paul is converted to the faith on the road to Damascus. And when he is converted to the faith, he goes and starts all these churches, Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae, and those people become converted to the faith. And Philemon, the influential citizen of Colossae, he becomes converted to the faith. And when God puts Onesimus into Paul's path, and by the time Paul is sharing the gospel with Onesimus, the runaway slave becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment he becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes a different type of human being. He is no longer living for himself. He is living for others. And the particular other at this time is this old arthritic, pain-filled apostle sitting there in prison. 70-year-old apostle, 28-year-old Onesimus. And Onesimus looks at him like he had looked at his father, wraps his arms around the apostle and says, I'm going to care for you. God has brought me into your path so that I can take care of you. And the apostle looks at Onesimus and says, God has brought you into my path so that I can save your soul. Second Corinthians 5.10 Christ died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Christ who died for them and rose again. You know what Onesimus' name means? It means useful. And the letter that Paul writes to Philemon, he makes a play on the guy's name. He said, formerly Onesimus used to be only useful in the name that he had. But now he is useful because his nature has been changed by the invasion of Christ. Listen carefully. Jesus has a way of taking chaotic and disorganized lives like yours and mine. And he can bring them into exceedingly effective and creative purposes. Jesus has a way of taking chaotic and disorganized lives and bringing them to effective, creative purposes. I'll go one step further. Jesus has a way of taking chaotic and disorganized things in our life. Someone listening has cancer. Someone listening far before this nightmare happened had enormous financial difficulties. 
Someone listening to this message has great difficulties with some relationship going on. God looks at your life and he has a way of taking the chaos and reshaping it into something that he himself can bless. I believe with all my heart keeps me from being overwhelmed by fear. I believe with all my heart that this powerful God can take this coronavirus, chaotic, disorganized virus that has destroyed so much. And by the time God's hands are through with this virus, he will have used it to the most effective and creative purposes imaginable. He takes the old, he turns it into the new. He takes what Satan means for our harm, and by the time he's through working with it, it has worked out for enormous good that we could never imagine. Onesimus, for all the miracle of change that God has worked in his life, he is still faced with the fact that he's a runaway slave. Christianity does not say that we toss away our past. Christianity says whatever is wrong in your past, you ask God to forgive you. And when you ask God to forgive you, the Bible says he takes those sins, tramples them under his feet, casts them into the depths of the sea. The Bible says he takes our sin and removes them as far as east is from the west. The Bible says he takes our sin, and when he's through with it, it's as if it never were. But Christianity asks us to do something. If we've harmed someone, and the possibility exists to make amends, to go to that individual, ask for forgiveness, Christianity asks us to do that. And when that has been done... We proceed to live our lives in new, God-blessed directions. The day came when Paul had a heart-to-heart talk with Onesimus. His words were difficult because they struck terror in the heart of Onesimus. He said to Onesimus, you have to go back. You can't run away from your past. You have to go back to Philemon. And you have to make amends. And then when you faced your past and made amends, you can live your life in a new God-blessed direction. Go back, submit yourself to Philemon, ask for his forgiveness. Because if you do not, you'll be haunted for the rest of your life. You'll be looking over your shoulder continually. Your conscience will be barking at you all the time. You must do this. Onesimus, trust God and do this. It's funny, when I studied this particular book, 25 verses, it came to me that the Apostle Paul himself must have done the same thing in his life. If you know anything about the Apostle, you knew that at one time he was torturing Christians and assenting to their murder. And when I read this, when he says to Philemon, go back, I know that the Apostle Paul did the same thing. He must have gone back to families in Jerusalem whose lives he had torn apart by his actions. 
And he must have asked for their forgiveness. And he must have told them, I'm a changed man. And he must have said to them, how can I help you? And once he had done that, then he writes in the Bible, what is behind me, I leave behind me. And I move forward to do the work of God's kingdom. Onesimus knew that if he went back, he could die. That was the penalty for running away if you were a slave. Before he goes, Paul writes a letter to Philemon. And he asks this man who has been won over to the power, love, and forgiveness of God. He asks this man to do an absolutely revolutionary thing. To look on Onesimus not as a runaway slave, but as a human being whom Christ had died for and in whom God had done a saving work. Paul says to Philemon, I want you to have new eyes. When you look at Onesimus, I want you to have new values. I want you to have a new understanding and a new way of perceiving what is right and wrong in God's eyes. You lived all of your life in a certain culture, Philemon. I'm asking you to step outside of your culture and to let Christ, who's invaded you, change your eyes, your values, your understanding. Forgive Onesimus. That's what he asked. Forgive Onesimus. We live in a culture, do we not? There is much in our culture that is different from what God would have us do. There is much in our culture that would require us to have new eyes, new values, new understanding, new way of perceiving what is right and wrong. Putting someone else first is not a part of our culture. I always come first. That's what our culture indicates it should be. But God would say, no, new eyes on this matter. Put someone else first. Our culture does not encourage forgiving each other. Our culture encourages getting your revenge. Uh, God says, new eyes here, folks. Uh, Forgiveness for what it does for you inside and what it does to the other person. Our culture does not necessarily proclaim mercy as a great virtue. Our culture looks at mercy and perhaps downplays it and says it's a sign of weakness on your parts. In the realm of morals, in the whole concept, the Bible says, if you can't speak well of somebody or some situation, don't speak at all. In so many ways, God says, look at your culture. I have made you a different person, a new creature. And that's what he asked us to do. This coronavirus stuff, 
I had a young man come up to me. I mentioned it on a vlog. I had a young man come up to me a week ago. And I said, my wife's health is not good. She doesn't want to go to Costco. I'm going to go to Costco and I'm going to hunt for toilet paper. And this young man said to me, Pastor, I don't want you going there. You give me the list of what you need, and I'll get it for you. This young man lives far, far away, 40 minutes away, and he's got two children, and he's got a wife. And that's what he said to me. Uh, The coronavirus. You think about someone else that's overwhelmed by fear. And you go to that person who's overwhelmed by fear, maybe an aunt or an uncle, maybe someone at work, maybe someone who's in your neighborhood. You go to them, and you talk to them about God's existence, and you share with them good news. And when you go to that individual who is so filled with fear, guess what happens to your fear? It begins to melt away. Because you're thinking about someone else. What about going to Costco and what about standing in line and you get toilet paper for yourself and you bring it back to your car? And what about you go back in? Because you want to get toilet paper for your next door neighbor or for someone who's elderly who can't get out. You're going to go in and you're going to get groceries for them. You're going to stand in line for 45 minutes, but it doesn't matter. You're thinking about someone else. And that's where God can use any circumstance and turn it into that which works for good. Let me close up this story about Onesimus, all right? There's an English parliamentarian, and his name is Wilberforce. And almost single-handedly, Wilberforce brought down the institution of slavery in Europe. And when he stood in front of Parliament, time and time again, he would bring out one book from the Bible. And that was the book of Philemon, 25 verses. And he would read endlessly from those 25 verses. It has been said that this tiny little letter in the Bible was the seed that eventually split the rock of slavery. Not just in Europe, but in America and all across the world. This tiny book becomes a seed that splits the rock of slavery. Because in this book, we're asked to look at all other human beings. Democrats, Republicans, male, female, slave and free. Cubs fans, White Sox fans. We're asked to look at every human being as if they were our own brother and our own sister. Lose your life in the life of others. Lose your life in meeting the needs of others. And what a change takes place in you. You want me to tell you what God did with Onesimus? I'll tell you. God, with whom all things are possible and nothing is impossible... Philemon forgives Onesimus. What does Onesimus do? He goes back to Rome. Where does he go? Into the prison. What does he do? He takes care of the Apostle Paul. And when the Apostle Paul is put to death, 
Then he goes and finds the other apostles and he takes care of them. Onesimus, 50 years later, there is a letter written by a very famous bishop of Antioch. His name is Ignatius. And 50 years after the slave runs away, and 50 years after he meets the Apostle Paul, and 50 years after he's converted by Christ, and 50 years after the Christian Philemon sets him free, the bishop of Antioch writes a letter to the bishop of Ephesus. Do you know who the bishop was? His name was Onesimus. A runaway slave has become the bishop of one of the largest churches in the world. That's what God can do. Good luck, bad luck, who's to know? It isn't luck, people. It's 100% God. A bishop of Ephesus affecting the lives of thousands and thousands of people. Tradition says that Paul's letters were gathered up by Onesimus, the bishop. And one of the letters that he gathered up was a letter that was sent to Philemon. And he let others read the epistles of Paul. He actually saved those epistles. And they end up in the Bible. Who knows if any of those epistles would ever have appeared in the Bible had the runaway slave who became the bishop of Ephesus had not collected them and saved them. And now we know why that tiny book of Philemon ended up in the Bible. It's as if Onesimus was saying to you and me, let me tell you what God can do. Let me tell you how I came to be. From one who had done an evil deed punishable by death, here is what the forgiving grace and the power of God can do. Remember, we do not have the wisdom or knowledge to pass final judgment on the coronavirus or anything else that happens to us. But this you must know. God is at work for good. Live in hope. Live in faith. Live in great confidence. Live in peace. And live to serve someone who's hurting worse than you are. You look at the cross on Good Friday. The ultimate evil, the death of the Son of God. And by the time God is through with it, His Son is risen from the dead. Our eternal salvation. Do not limit the power of God. Stand back and be amazed in our Savior's name. Amen. Let me have a prayer with you. Heavenly Father, why do people gather together? Why do Christians gather together throughout all these centuries? And the Bible tells us why. 
They gather together in homes or in caves or in buildings or in gymnasiums. They gather together as they do this morning online. They gather together in small groups and large groups. They gather together to hear the stories of the power, the love, and the wisdom of God. We can never hear those stories often enough. And in times like these, when fear comes sweeping in like some tsunami, we need to hear the stories of the power, the love, the wisdom, the deliverance, the grace of God himself. And we've heard one of those stories this morning, Lord, the story of Onesimus. Help us to lift our fears to you, to place them smack dab in your lap, and then to walk away as you ask us to do in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Bring to me your fears, leave them with me, walk away, and I will give you peace. You say to us, Lord, that if we have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, we can say to the mountain of fear, move and it will move. And if you tell us that by our little faith we can do that, what power you have to hold this virus in your hands. Help us to learn lessons meant to be learned. And then, Lord, lift this virus from this earth. Such things we ask in your name. Amen.